Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Renault, Dacia, and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Friday afternoon. Lovely to have you with us on the show. Isn't the weather just simply glorious? Thank God for it. Long may it continue. Continuing over the weekend, I can tell you anyway, and into uh, early next week. So, uh, fingers crossed. Anyway, surely this weekend you'll be out and about enjoying the sunshine, whatever your pursuit is, or even it's into your, just your back garden. Isn't it absolutely lovely to be able to enjoy these lovely evenings? I was out yesterday evening, actually, for a game of golf. Nine holes and... It was just glorious. It was like being abroad, to be honest with you, with the temperatures. And it was so, so nice to be able to play in such lovely, lovely conditions. Anyway, we're lined up for the next couple of hours with lots for you to enjoy. A little bit later on, Leon Blanche will run the rule over uh, the sporting weekend. A lot going on in soccer and GA, And Leon, as usual, looking ahead. My artist of the week, Stevie Wonder. Yes, I bring the curtain down on his story in words and song. And I have a Stevie classic for you coming soon. Rick Cronje's with us and we're heading to Armenia. Yes, Armenia today for the wines. And Rick is waxing lyrical about his recommendations today. When you have a nice glass of wine, wouldn't a book be lovely to go along with it? Yes, we have that for you too. Margaret Madden, it's Book Club Friday. Our book reviewer is with us and she has her book of the month. She's a classic and more besides. And she'll sort you out with your reading for the weeks ahead and this lovely weather, indoors or outdoors. I'll give you a riddle. I'm going to give you a riddle on Friday to start the show today. So we'll get you going at it early. And let me tell you today, I have a lovely prize. I want to give one of you the opportunity to play our radio bingo for a month free. You'll have a month free play on the radio bingo and you could win a big, big prize. You really could. So I'm going to give you the riddle and that's the prize today. A month free bingo play. So here we go with the riddle on Friday for you. Listen carefully. I'm lighter than what I'm made of and more of me is hidden than can be seen. What am I? I'll say it once more. I'm lighter than what I'm made of and more of me is hidden than can be seen. What am I? Your answers, please. It's not a difficult one today, is it? Your answers, please, to 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show with your name and details and the answer to the riddle, and we'll draw a winner from the correct entries before the end of the show this afternoon. Now, I mentioned I was out golfing yesterday evening, and it was a beautiful evening, but I have to say to you, I was thinking about yesterday far away from where I was playing golf because I reminded you here in the show as it happened, as the news broke that bombs had gone off at Kabul airport and I was thinking last night how lucky I am in my life to be able to enjoy a game of golf yesterday evening 
in peaceful conditions with friends in lovely weather and those poor people who were blown to bits yesterday trying to get out of Afghanistan and you know my mind just wandered to think about what is this world what has this world come to that we live in and with that in mind today I said who am I going to ring to have a chat with who maybe can give me a perspective on it uh, and I'm delighted to say he's back with us on late lunch acclaimed journalist and writer Kevin Myers it's good to talk to you again Kevin I'm good to talk to you as well Kevin, honestly, that, that, those thoughts were racing through my mind, even though I was far away from it. And I want to begin here and ask you this, and, and, and you know the story here. 20 years ago, the USA, UK and Allies went in there uh, after the Russians were ran out of it by the Taliban previously. Should they have gone in? And should we be thinking about major powers now really interfering in other parts of the world? Well, they went in on the United Nations mandate. If there was any serious reason for any member of the Youth Security Council to have um, prevented that action, it would have happened. At the time, everyone seemed it was a good. I thought it was a good idea. It seemed a good idea because of Taliban's role in supporting Al Qaeda and the, the attacks on the Twin Towers, which killed three and a half thousand people, and also on on the Pentagon and and other buildings in America. It was an atrocious terrorist act that couldn't go unanswered. Now, we all know what's happened. We, we roughly know what's happened in the last 20 years. Disaster has steadily unfolded across the world as it was intended to do. It was meant to destabilize the world, the attack on the Twin Towers and Washington, and that is precisely what has happened. And um, the presence of NATO in Europe with members of the Defense Forces, our own Defense Force and the United States, uh, w- was validated because it seemed like a good, a, a good project at the time. But what's happened is that the will to confront Islamic fundamentalism has simply dissolved in the last few years simply because Islamic fundamentalism has more energy and more self-belief than what we in the, the post-Christian Western world have. Now, I'm not saying that we, we have any right to be in Afghanistan. But we do have a right to defend our values, and that is not being done anymore. When you have this absurdity of people going down on one knee in, across England for, because of the death of a black man 18 months ago, three and a half thousand miles away, and not once, and he was a, a career criminal, he was murdered by a rogue policeman, but he was a career criminal, there has been no such genuflection, and that's what it is for the 500 British soldiers and 2,000 British soldiers who were killed and 2,000 maimed doing their duty in, in Afghanistan. We've turned our values upside down to accommodate inter, in imported principles so that we are talking about Black Lives Matter as if it's the only issue in the world when in fact the survival of our civilization, and I, I, I sound as if I'm being overdramatic here, but I actually believe this, our civilization is uh, under serious attack from all sorts of levels, individual morality in terms of the belief we have in our own system, in the belief in democracy and free speech and the, the fundaments which have largely defined how Western Europe has been for the last century or so. These are vanishing from before, before our eyes under the assaults of political correctness. So uh, at so many levels, the self-belief in the West is simply vanishing. And we are being confronted with a new threat, 
which is civilizational and which has a greater willpower to impose its will on us than we have to impose our own will on ourselves. Now, that's shocking to, to, to listen to your assessment of it there. I just want to come back. Black Lives Matter is a movement, as you mentioned there, and every life matters. That's my view, and I, I've always said this. Black lives, every shade of skin of life matters. But that campaign, you know, you know its genesis and where it came from as well, is valid in its own right. You're not saying it's not valid? Black Lives Matter as a movement is absolutely not uh, valid. It is. Uh, we, we, we all agree that you know you don't judge a person by by yes. uh, that person's skin. Black's exactly what Black Lives Matter does. It's saying that Black Lives Matter more than the, the lives of dark brown people, or, or say in Asia, or white people like ourselves. But Kevin, you it have to say, specifically, let me... communist movement that is opposed to the free market mm. and is opposed to the family. But it's, Kevin, it's you're opposed uh, you're, to you're, the you're, nuclear family. You've got to black say, Black Lives Matter is not just about black people. You've got to you say must this, bear Kevin. That in mind. You've got to say this, Kevin, as well. They're coming from a position where, you know, slavery, uh, you know, all that happened historically in the States as well, and where there is a real feeling, you know, that black people were honestly second-class citizens for far too long and continue to be. No, that's not true. We, we, we all know that that's what, if, if that was the case, Barack Obama would not have been elected uh, president of the United States. Fair Slavery point. was uh, ended a century and a half ago. Slavery existed in Africa long after it was ended in, in North America. It existed in Russia long after it, it was ended. It, you, you cannot throw events of one and a half centuries ago as explanation for how people behave and talk today. It's like saying, accusing, uh, excusing Irish people for their behaviour because of the famine. It, it simply doesn't wash. And it's not an issue of black people being victims of um, white police discrimination. The heads of police of uh, Washington, uh, of uh, Detroit, of Chicago, of St. Louis, uh, of, of, um, of Seattle, they're all black police officers. And in the case of Seattle, it's a black woman. Mm. So we're not dealing with something, that, the, the, the caricature picture that's presented of American, uh, American life. More white people are killed, more white men are killed every year by the American police than are, are black men. Mm. So the caricature is simply upside down. And a, a, a black man is, a, black, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black man than the reverse is the case. You have been fed by the, the weak-willed media a caricature of American life, which simply doesn't apply. There are senior Army American generals, Air Force generals, and, and admirals who are of, of African origin. The caricature of the Jim Crow is over. It finished before you were born, and when I was a child, with the, the, one of the greatest men in American history, Martin Luther King. Mm. And there is, there is the, the, the notion that he completely defeated of white supremacism has no validity at all. There is no serious pre, uh, prejudice against black people at an everyday level in America. What, what, there has been a serious problem of generating a culture of victimhood in, in, in America. But it, it's, it's a recent development. In 1950, unemployment amongst young black males was lower than it was amongst young white males. So a series of problems have emerged with, within the United States of America, and particularly amongst uh, 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 bl black males, that need to be addressed. But you just can't blame the society as a whole for localised problems that do need to be looked at. But you can't turn a whole society upside down because of that. And the, the sim simple absence of ascertainable facts
is one of the reasons that people are having so mis misled and misleading conversations about this. The, the American black population, male population, is 6.5% of the population, of the entire population of America, but is responsible for 51% of all homicides. That's 6.5% responsible for 51% of homicides. So we, we have, we all know that there is a problem in the United States of America. It is not solved by coming to simple resolutions that the police are responsible for this. And in the case of St. Louis, Missouri, sorry, of, of um, Minneapolis, um, it, that, that city has been governed by the Democratic Party for the last 60 years. Donald Trump has no control whatever over the policing of the state, yet he was blamed for the, the killing of George Floyd in May of last year, although he had no, no authority over it at all. This is a completely democratic state and a democratic city. And, and half of the, the policemen involved in, in the killing were of non-white origin. Two of them were Asians. Mm. One of them was mixed race, black and, and white. OK, I, I hear what you're saying and you make so many valid points. Come back to Afghanistan and what we set out to talk about and the point you made that 9-11 destabilised the world. You look at Afghanistan now, you have the Taliban, wings of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, pro-Afghan state people remaining there, other minorities. This is all set for bedlam, is it? A oh, civil yes, war. Yes, I mean, it's not just... Believe me, it's not just Afghanistan where the West has not intervened. There is a gathering anarchy across much of northern Nigeria is almost lost to uh, Islamic fundamentalists. It's, uh, Islamic fundamentalists control much of Mozambique, Tanzania, Uganda. Much of the Congo is controlled by Islamic fundamentalists, and n no Western forces have been there. It's easy enough in the caricature history we have that every, it's not just Irish, it, it, everyone has this, that somehow or other a Western intervention is the cause of these things. Well, Western intervention often, obviously often makes them worse, but they are bad enough anyway. So that, that if you don't intervene, then you get attacked, as in America's case. America was attacked from Afghanistan in 2001, and for no reason that anyone can ascertain. So if you don't intervene, you're, you're, you're damned. If you do intervene, you're damned. So it's not just Afghanistan. Believe me, across all of Africa, this, the, the, the fundamental problems exist, where um, you have fundamentalist Islamists who do not um, have any regard for their own lives, and they certainly don't have any regard for the lives of the people they impose their will on. I think most of your listeners will be aware of the abduction and forcible rape of hundreds of Nigerian girls a couple of years ago. Most of them have vanished. They were taken from their schools at gunpoint and, and, and just vanished. And attempts by the Nigerian army and the police to, to retrieve them have just ended in the loss of security forces' lives. But, and it's not just Nigeria. Every, almost every single African country south of the Sahara is being confronted by this problem. And every single question, without every, every question, sorry, every country north of the Sahara unquestionably has this problem. Every single country from, the, from Israel to the Atlantic Ocean is confronted by Islamic fundamentalism that is determined to impose its will, not by the ballot box, by by force of arms and by terrorism. So what's the answer? Is there There's an no answer? answer? No answer. There is no answer, and we, we are fooling ourselves if we think that we, 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 we can reverse this process. What we can do, first of all, is to uh, establish kind of, uh, 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 confidence in who we are and what we are. Now, one of the, the, the things that I have been writing about for, for, the, for the last century 
is the, the need for Ireland to be proud of the fact that it's an Irish state um, which will welcome immigrants, because immigrants are generally a good thing, but we should have a control over how many immigrants arrive in Ireland. All immigrants, you know, are not necessarily good, because an Irish people have been emigrating doesn't mean when they arrived in a certain place they were necessarily virtuous because they were Irish. This is true of incoming people to, to Ireland. We have seen across Europe societies transformed. London, for example, in my lifetime has been converted from being about 98% white British stroke Irish stroke Polish to being Europe, white European people are a minority in London. It's, the, the fact is that 60% of the population of London is now of non-European origin. And the vast majority of children being raised in London schools are of non-European origin. We're talking about, you know, 70 or 80 percent. We've seen the transformation of London life and, and Birmingham life and Bradford life and Leicester, where I was born. All of those societies being transformed by, by immigration, uncontrolled immigration. Now, which Irish community is saying, I want to my life and I want my community and my, my identity to be transformed by uncontrolled immigration? Which is the community that's volunteering for this? I want to know which one's doing that. Is it, is it going to be Drawd? Is it going to be um, Dundalk? Is it going to be Offaly or Banagher? Are they, are they saying we want to be transformed by uncontrolled immigration? Nobody in these communities ever is consulted about the transformations imposed on them by central government. They never have a choice. And then they find themselves living in a society which is no longer theirs. In the, 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 the town of Savile in Yorkshire, there is one English person left. The rest of the entire town is Muslim immigrants. Good. Muslim immigrants. My word, like when you, when you hear that, it, it, it is, it makes you uh, really start to consider and think. Kevin, I have to leave it there today. Lots of food for thought there. You are thought-provoking. You're a great man for your opinions. And I thank you for joining us today to try and make some sense of what's actually happening. And I'll be back to you, I promise. Okay, thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Kevin Myers there, journalist and writer. If you have an opinion as to Kevin's opinions, don't forget to give us a shout. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Hi, Jerry. That was the best person you've had on your show for quite a while. He spoke so many truths, says a listener this afternoon about Kevin Myers, who was on the show with us a little bit earlier on. He is such a learned man and has opinions, which he isn't afraid to express. And was a lot of uh, merit in what he said, I have to say. There really, really was. Now we move on on the show today because it is Book Club Friday and she's standing by with her recommendations. We managed to get her out of the garden, away from her antiques and our studies just for a few minutes, especially for us in late lunch. Margaret Madden, hello again. How are you? I'm running around like a headless chicken <laughs> trying to find a room with range for the phone. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Well, you're there and you're sounding loud and clear. Oh, good. Well, well, let's begin. And you know, I have to say, I smiled when you sent me in your recommendations last evening to see what you had selected for Book of the Month. Tell them what it is. Book of the Month is probably going to be my book of the year, I'll say. is, is Did You Hear Mammy Died by Seamus O'Reilly. Well, I spoke to him a couple of weeks back uh, when the book came out and I have to say we had a lovely interview and what a fantastic guy he is. And of course, I, I read the book myself um, when, before I spoke to Seamus, so I'm well familiar with it. It is a cracker, Margaret, isn't it? It is. It's a literally 
reading one sitting one, isn't it? And yeah. even if you don't, you can pick it back up and get in again. It's the story, um, it's Seamus's memoir, really, but done in a kind of a humorous way. So he was one of 11 children, and he was just turning five when his mother died. And um, that's where the title, Did You Hear Mammy Died, comes from. He's recollecting his, the, her funeral and he was looking for attention because, you know, everybody was kind of looking over the children and he was kind of grabbing on the trouser and going, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Did You Hear Mammy Died? <laughs> and um, it, I just love the way he, he retells the story by using dark humour and using honesty about her surrounding grief um, and funerals and how communities come together. And then he goes on to, with the description of what family life was like after that. You know, his dad was such a great man. He really was with 11 children on his own and heartbroken, but just kept going and kept keep, kept them busy for sure. Um, road trips and they had a minibus of a car that was falling apart. And he's recounting stories of, of their times traveling around, being brought to discos, being brought to football matches. It's just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Did you love it? I love the book, I have to mm. say, and you're, you're on the money with it. It's just one of those books that will stay with you. And you're right, his dad, I put that to him when I was talking to him. What a wonderful man. 11 children and raging in age from tiny ones right up to teens. And he, like, looked after them on his own version. Now, he had family support, I know, on that as well, and people gave a dig out. But it was his, his full responsibility. And you know yourself, Margaret, you have a, you have a few children and yeah. the issues you have. And Seamus was telling me, he only has one now of his own and he nearly can't cope. 11 of them, Margaret. I know, but the funny thing about it is, and my mother was one of 12, so it's a very similar story, mm. in that they kind of split into different groups, into different castes, as uh, Seamus calls them in the book. So the older ones, the middle ones, and the wee ones, you yeah, know? Yeah. And the older ones obviously had to help out with the, the wee ones. And I remember my, my mum telling me the very same, because she was also the second youngest. And so basically, the elder ones did a lot of the... the the helping rear the children. It's not so much like that now. Oh my God, my eldest ones wouldn't be looking after babies if I brought them in, you know? They just wouldn't. It's not a chance. I can't even get them to, you know, hang out washing. So, it's, you know, the family dynamics have changed yes. o- over the decades. Um, it, it, older children are not really responsible for younger siblings anymore. Mm. But that's why I think I loved this. It was so different. It showed the importance of family and how I think since the pandemic we we, we we kind of are getting more in touch with our siblings and our families and um, keeping in touch because of bubbles you know yes and uh, I think Seamus has described a generation that is gone and hopefully it's going to come back that, that family feel you know Oh, listen, family is everything. Well, there you have it, folks. Did you hear Mammy Died? A memoir by Seamus O'Reilly is Margaret Madden's Book of the Month and Book Club. And I have a copy and I'm going to give it away in a few moments. I'll tell you about that, how you can uh, uh, pick up a free copy of that book from us on Book Club this afternoon. Now, let's move on to your second choice this month uh, in the category of literary fiction. It's Snowflake by Louise Nealon. Now, this isn't out yet. Um, oh, is it not? I think oh, it's I'm coming. Sorry. You know, no, 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 no. Listen, you're bang on. You're on the money. It's actually coming out next week. Oh, and well, there so, you go. Uh, you're a sneak peek. You're ahead of the posse here. It's out next week. This book, and you love it. I did. Um, now I listened to this on audio, even so. Maybe it's the hardback was out and the paperback is coming out. So I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, it was when I was kind of on the wee breakaway. I listened to it. And it's about Debbie, who's off to uh, college. She's going to TC, uh, Trinity. and she's, But she's from a Kildare dairy farm where she lives with her mum and her uncle Billy. Now, the mother, Maeve, she suffers kind of from an undiagnosed mental illness. 
and you know so she's Oh, she's kind of a bit airy fairy is probably the way to describe it. Um, she sees people's dreams and she picks up shells and feels things through them. You know this kind of thing. And her uncle Billy then, um, he lives in a caravan on, on the farm. And himself and Debbie have this massive connection because there is no father in the picture. Mm. So obviously he's the, the male role model for yes. her. And they just have this amazing relationship. She goes in at night, they climb up onto the roof of the caravan, they watch the stars, he talks about Greek mythology to her, he, he encourages her studies, he helps, I think, pay for her to go to college. Um, it's a beautiful relationship. So off she goes anyway to TCD, completely naive and innocent of what the real world is like, because she literally just lived in a very small community. You know, didn't really yes. hang around with other people her age. Um, so she makes friends with a, a, a very vibrant girl called Xanthi, um, and she was her first person, really, her first friend. She was on a lo- uh, alone for a long time before that in her digs, and they, you know, they get on great, and it's great to have the company. But Xanthi, although she's like really cultured and beautiful and surrounded by friends, she just seems really sad. So there's, and and Debbie kind of is very dismissive of mental illness, probably because she grew up with it, and she's like she's pretty much saying you shouldn't be sad I, I really want to smack you now you know you've got everything so basically the book is a kind of a denial of mental illness and alcoholism and things like that I'm making it sound very dark it's very humorous at times and mm. you know this young naive girl up in Dublin um, there are going to be comparisons to normal people you know that was turned uh, into the TV show um, yes. Sally Rooney's but yes. it's actually it's, it's, it's not as, as stuffy as that you mm. know it's an easy read and very enjoyable, and you will really remember Debbie a lot, and especially Uncle Billy long after finishing it. Yeah, and you have that, uh, what would you say, dichotomy as well of the coming of age of a young woman learning to navigate a new world in Trinity College and Dublin, and yet her heart is back home on the farm. It is, and, you know, she keeps thinking about a guy that she fancies in the village that she sees at Mass every week, even she's never spoken to him. She was too shy and yeah. introvert, but... The guy, anyway, um, ends up going out with her friend's auntie. They bump into them somewhere up in Dublin, and it's just the feelings that she's going through. So you have the angst, the obvious late teenage angst and everything, but there's more to it than that. It's very, it's a, it's a lovely, profound book, but not not literary, not arty, as I call it. You know, yes. you can really get into it without, you know, struggling with the, the prose or anything like that. It is called Snowflake by Louise Nealon. Out now and highly recommended in book club by Margaret Madden. Now we move on and move back a bit really to a book called Stasiland. Stories from Behind the Berlin Wall by Anna Funder. 2004, Margaret. Yeah, again, this was an audio book and I just randomly came up on Barabox and I went, ooh, I'll, I'll have a bit of that because I actually didn't know much about um, the Stasi regime, you know, so off I went and started. So it's set in the 1990s. This is um, Anna Funder. It, it's non-fiction. So she put an ad in the newspaper when she was living over um, in Berlin looking for... Um, former Stasi East German Ministry of State Security people really you know she she's in mm. post reunification Berlin but she wants to know what it was like previously and she gets a, a massive response these are old Stasi men who are proud of what they did and are more than delighted to tell their stories some of them now anonymously but the majority of them have no problem giving their names they're now living in dingy flats in Potsdam there and they're old and they're stubborn but they relish in telling her the story. She's a young Australian journalist. 
So it just basically examines life in the, in the German uh, Democratic Republic back in the day um, and the spies and the informers and what they were up to, like the bizarre system they had to check out everyone. Mm. It was nearly like um, a conspiracy theory that's going on now that we've all, with our vaccine, we've all been chipped, you know? Yes. You don't need to be chipped for people to follow you, it turns out, and figure out everything about your life. It's a fascinating read, and she's a great writer. She puts a lovely touch to it, so it doesn't feel like a boring, historical, non-fiction book, you know? Mm, but, you know, I can remember the GDR, uh, the East Germany, as it was known, and really, when you, when you read this book, you understand that nearly in every second or third household, there was a Stasi informer. They tell them everything about you and people were hauled in and interrogated and tortured by these people. It was horrendous. They were. I mean, they, they reckon that one in 6.5 people were spies mm. um, or informers, uh, paid and unpaid. A lot of them were unpaid. They were just trying to get brownie points, you know, and keep safe themselves. Um, and, and often the, the resistance were, were placed in, in these prisons. And it turns out that a lot of them died of this very strange cancer. And some research has shown that and, and documentation that there was a lot of radiation used in these prison camps and, and without the people even knowing that there was special hand creams that the Stasi used to feed through into the skin of these people by shaking hands or by touching them and um, it radiation in the cells, in the air. You know, very, very strange things that mm. you never... We certainly didn't know what was going on like that, about that, I think, in the late 80s. We just didn't. Yes, you know? and I remember Eric Honecker. He was the leader of that particular yeah. part of Germany for a time. And everything appeared, when you think about East Germany, everything looked grey. Everything, the people, the buildings, the cars, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Dark. they just did not want any no. form of colour. No, 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 no. And no. you had to just... They pretty much they wanted you to just stay in your house. Mm. And anyway, you enjoyed it. A blast yeah. from the past. Stasiland stories from behind the Berlin Wall by Anna Funder. It is true. All of this, these stories are from people who uh, lived through those times and for people interested in history are reminding ourselves about the awfulness of a partition Germany. That is the book to pick up this time round. Now, finally, you do pick a classic and, oh, well, she's so well known. Anne Enright, one of her own, and The Green Road, nominated for a Booker Prize in 2015. Yeah, I mean, Anne Enright is just an absolute legend in, in my book, you know, excuse the pun. <laughs> um, th- she's just a queen of writing uh, stories about family, I think. That's where she shines. Um, so it's set in the Burren, um, over 25 years, really. But the Madigan family, um, it starts off in 2005, where you find out that um, the matriarch, uh, Rosaline, is, has decided to sell her house. Her children um, are in various locations throughout the world, bar Constance, who, who lives close by. So it's, they, they've all decided to come home for Christmas to talk to her about why she's selling the house. <clears throat> now, they haven't been together for years, so it is a gathering similar to her previous book, The Gathering, of, uh, but that was a funeral. Um, it's fabulous. She's got four kids. She's got Dan, who it was the apple of her eye until he announced that he wasn't going to be going to the priesthood, that he was leaving, and off he went to New York. And it turns out that um, he was gay, and he, he heads over to New York in the middle of the AIDS crisis. So his chapters are absolutely outstanding really really well written uh, Constance as I said stays close at home she um, is getting mammograms she thinks she might have breast cancer so you go through that journey with her and the hospital scenes again are beautifully written 
Um, and she's just drowned by the expectations of being the daughter that lives close by and looking after everything and being the wife and the mother. She just doesn't seem to have any more of a life, you know. Mm. And then you have Emmett, who's an aid worker abroad, and he just can't settle. He's just shifty. So you follow him through, oh, you know, why? Why is he so different to the others? Why can he not settle? And then Hannah, who uh, a failed theatre actress, uh, she's kind of a bookish child, so you meet her at the very beginning as a young child. And again, she's very unsettled and she's having a bit of a breakdown. She's just had a baby. So you're getting all the stories together. Um, it's kind of set in the Celtic Tiger area, hence why the house is up for sale. So you've got stories then of uh, diaspora, the church, the gay AIDS crisis. You know, it, it's got everything. And oh, what can I say? She's just an exquisite writer. So there you are. To dip into the classic, it's uh, The Green Road by Anne Enright. And the other thing is, of course, uh, Rosaline, the family matriarch, who, you know, a uh, classic thing in Irish families where the mammy makes yeah. the children feel guilty and blames them <laughs> for her loneliness and happiness. When I get out the violin. La, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, it's a real Irish thing, isn't it, indeed? Anyway, The Green Road by Anne Enright is Margaret's final recommendation today. Now, I have the book to give away. I have it here beside me, Margaret. Seamus O'Reilly, did you hear mammy died? And here's the question. Don't answer it. You've given the, you've given the answer already. If they were listening to us, they'll have it. Here's the question. How many children were in the O'Reilly family, the many children in that family that Seamus, his own family that he wrote about? How many children in the O'Reilly family? If you get the answer right, send it to me, 086-1800-658. If you have an answer, have a go with it anyway. Send it to me with your name and details and we'll give that book to somebody listening this afternoon. Margaret, as usual, thank him, thanks a million for joining me and stay tuned because your song is coming up next. Oh, thank you. Bye. Not at all. Talk to you soon. Bye. Fair play to you, Jerry says Kathleen this afternoon. That was a great interview with Kevin Myers. He's the only one who I've heard speak the real truth and you gave him the space and time. Thanks indeed for that nice message Kathleen this afternoon. Now we have your reading sorted. A nice glass of vino would go nicely wouldn't it? With a book to while away a few hours. Well we're going to sort that out for you too now because he's back. Our virtuoso of vino the wonderful Rick Cronje is with us. Hello again Rick. Hello Jerry. Thanks for joining me once more on the show. Now, Rick, um, we're rolling back a little bit here to, well, you copped this, I didn't. You keep a good track on us, Rick, I have to say, to 2017 October was the last time we visited Armenia and you're going back there today. We are indeed, Jerry. that's right. Armenia then was part of our world tour. That's correct. Yes, October 2017. <laughs> Why doesn't time fly by? Just remind us about Armenia as a wine producer. Where does it sit or what does it produce? Yeah, uh, it produces, well, it's got 17,000 hectares under vines and it's split roughly uh, 70, 30, 70% being white and 30% red. And um, it's number 41 in the world. Now, it's mainly known for its brandy, but that type is changing uh, very much so. And it produces about seven and a half million litres of wine a year. And as I say, brandy is still their biggest uh, 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 export at the moment. Uh, That still stands at 20 million 
Mm, and it's a landlocked nation as well, of course. Turkey on one side, Georgia, Azerbaijan and Iran. And, uh, you know, it's in there in the centre. It's landlocked. What about the climate and, and the terrain? Ideal, obviously, Rick, is it for producing a nice wine? Yes, well, parts of it, definitely. Uh, in general, the country is very mountainous. Mm. Uh, the climate is continental. You have a very cold winters. Um, certainly in parts of it, it can go down to minus 10, even colder. Um, and then you have very warm um, summers up to roughly 25 degrees. Um, rainfall now is, is uh, pretty minimal. I mean, uh, just over 500 millimeters on average. Mm. And of course, May and June being the, uh, the wettest. Now, if you consider an island, Certainly on the West Coast, you can get up to 2,000 millimetres. Yes. So, it's, yeah, yeah. Just, just to give it a bit of perspective. Yeah, good to know that. Uh, the classification system, they're not on the uh, world standard by any means. Yes, Jerry, they don't. Um, unfortunately, they have a very um, checkered history with uh, the Russian influence right up till 1991. And they have uh, four main wine regions, and it's roughly... Uh, along the lines of their provinces, something equal to our um, counties. Mm. Um, it's Ararat, Amavir, um, Aragatsun, and uh, Vyots Dizor will be the main. And 85% of all the wine will come from those uh, four uh, Particular regions. Good to know. Yeah. Anyway, that's Armenia for you. And uh, you have news for us because today's wines come to us courtesy of a new wine merchant. Yes, um, very, very good news, uh, Jerry. I certainly didn't expect it within four years from our last discussion. And uh, the new wine merchant is based in Drogheda, and they go by the name of Joy in a Glass. Now, isn't that a lovely name? It's lovely. <laughs> it's, that's, it. that's exactly what wine is about. Isn't yes, it? yes, I love it. So um, now Armenian wines is going to be part of their portfolio, but it, it'll, they'll have other wines, French, Italian, Spanish, Chilean, for instance. Mm. And it's local man, Conor Brin, uh, is one of the two gentlemen behind this. And uh, Conal, I would know Conal a good few years now through the wine club and other presentations. He mm. has 15 years plus experience in the wine trade and he also holds the diploma for the wine and spirits so he knows what he's on about. Good. And then um, Adrias Batkas, he's originally from Lithuania but he's been living in Drogheda for 10 years and he has extensive experience in the hospitality uh, sector both here and in uh, Lithuania and I suppose very even more important he's very well connected to the Armenian wine trade. Mm. So definitely uh, something to look out for. At the moment, Jerry, just while uh, they're getting things sorted, and of course, as we know, COVID has had a big influence on, you know, getting things are not moving quite as fast as they used to. Yes. Um, but at the moment, they're using Egan's off-license. Everybody knows Egan's off-license in Drogheda to sell their wines. But in the very near future, they will be, uh, join a glass, will be launching their own web shop and customers can then purchase direct for mm. nationwide delivery and 
um, the information's on all the social um, social media and, platforms. We wish them correct. well. We wish Connell and Odeus all the very best with Joy in a Glass Wines, and it's a great, great name indeed. We better get to the glass quick of the time will be over. Let's talk about the two wines they've uh, uh, showcased for us today. Let's begin with the white, the white from Armenia. And one thing strikes me, Rick, about this. It's 2016. It's five years old. Absolutely, Jerry. Well spotted and uh, absolute fantastic wine. I've tested it. I had some neighbours over to help me just to make sure that, uh, you know, my palate is not deceiving me. <laughs> it's called the Voskovas Urzana White. Beautiful, beautiful wine. 2016. Uh, the grape variety is called a Muscat Vadabur. Mm. Now, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a very perfumed grape. You get rose petals on it. It's yellow-greenish in, in color. Um, it is absolute fruit. The elderberry, pear, and apple coming through. Um, on the palate, it will be full-bodied. A superb, superb balance between the fruit and the flower. And a long aftertaste follows all the way through. Absolute stunner and it's 2016 2016 it's 23 euro now it'll be more on the pricey side than you've been running with in recent times is it worth every euro i think you're getting a bargain oh there you go even i think at that you're price, getting a bargain there you go yes jerry it's five years old it, it yeah. comes from armenia it's a fantastic wine and you know yeah, let's see when the web page is uh, launched. You yes. know, uh, give them that chance. But absolute stunner, I can assure listeners. Uh, this is a really, really nice wine. Yes. Lovely, lovely. And as you say, uh, aperitif or with the likes of maybe turkey, chicken, that yes. type of thing. Yes, lovely there. Yes, absolutely. Pork with pineapple or apple. Mm. Um, absolutely fantastic. Yes. Okay. On its own, brilliant. Lovely. Yes. So that's our white. Now, the red Armenia again, we're talking about 2015 and coming in at the same price, 23 again. What about this one, Rick? Now, this is a 2015. So, uh, again, a great wine. Hagnatak, um, we, we won't know these grapes, but I can assure listeners it's absolutely beautiful. Hagnatak, 70 and the Kaket, 30%. It's dark rich when you look at it. Uh, it comes... On the nose, dark fruits with some spice, oak and vanilla. Now, the oak will be because it had six months on oak. Um, a very fruity for a 2015 uh, Jerry. It got a slightly dry finish, but a beautiful, beautiful, long lingering aftertaste. And again, as a red, could you quaff this one by itself or do you need some red meat or whatever with it? On its own. Definitely, Jerry. One of the few, few or rare red wines come across where I would recommend that you could sit and just, mm. yeah. And uh, again, to mention that both of these wines from Armenia, the white and the red, were recognised at the World Wine Awards in 2016. So these definitely have a, a lot of merit to them from the experts. They do indeed. They won bronze, both of them, at the 2016 Decanter World Wine Awards. So, uh, absolute stunning wines. 
so Armenia we're talking about folks today for the white and for the red and you just hear Rick there I, I you know you you love your wines but you're particularly uh, waxing lyrical may I say about these two and and that should be remembered you have no hesitation in saying they are uh, a little perhaps on the high side of the price that someone might pay but you're getting pure quality here Rick absolutely Jerry Absolutely. And, you know, if you go back to 2017 when we first spoke, you know, uh, I mean, I listened to the podcast back then and we we spoke about the tide is turning. We said these are the wines to look out for. And we uh, my reply to your question was, yes, the big companies will bring these wines forward. Mm. And here we are in our very own backyard. They're here. Armenian wines have arrived. We uh, will post, uh, you know, uh, we'll post an image of uh, the wines uh, with the podcast of the show today. You can pick that up here about a half an hour after we're finished. And again, to remind you, uh, the new kids in town are Joy and Atlas. What a name. They're based out uh, of uh, Egan's off licence on uh, Peter Street in Drogheda at the moment and coming online soon where they can deliver all over the place and we wish them well again. Well, Rick, I can't wait to give them a, a field trial. I know that your last picks last month were absolutely superb. I contacted you afterwards myself to say, wow, Rick. Uh, anyway, Rick has another pair for us today, white and red, to be enjoyed over the weekend and from Armenia once more. Rick, you're so good to us, honestly. Thank you so much for your expertise always and please, God, we'll see you in the month of September. You certainly will do, Jerry. Thank you. Thanks a million. That's Rick Cronje there, a man who knows his wines inside out. So there you are, Armenian wines. And, you know, when you hear Rick talking about them there, well... My ears prick up for sure because he knows his stuff. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Still to come on Friday afternoon show. I'm going back for a final time to my Artist of the Week, Stevie Wonder. And Leon Blanche will be here in a while with a preview of the weekend in sport. Friday afternoon, big weekend in sport lying ahead. What's going to happen? Let's have a word with the communications manager from Boyle Sports, Leon Blanche. Hello again, Leon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Let's begin with the Premier League. Well, they don't come much bigger any season, and we're only into the season. Liverpool against Chelsea. Oh, it's a mouth-watering tie, Leon. It certainly is. Look, both teams um, have started well. Like Liverpool have kept two clean sheets. Um, great to have. If you're a Liverpool fan, Van Dijk back. You've got Matip playing extremely well. The midfielders are doing a good job. Jordan Henderson came in last game. I think Fabinho will be back into the side and then you've got Chelsea paid nearly 100 million for a proven goal scorer Romelu Lukaku I mean for me Jerry he's going to get at least 25 league goals um, at least because he looks a better player now actually since coming back from Inter Milan his all round game has improved but there's going to be a full house at Anfield and this is a massive game because both of these sides have got aspirations in terms of winning the Premier League and it's no one wants to lose at this part of the season, but I just think with the home form, with a full house at Anfield with 52,500, um, there should be a great atmosphere. All of Liverpool's attacking players have scored so far this season. Yota is two from two, Mane's on the score sheet, Firmino scored, Salah scored, and I just feel Liverpool at home, they had a great record up until coronavirus struck and then they couldn't win a game at home but prior to that it was something like 50 odd games so for me Liverpool to win both teams to score a close game but just the Reds 
Now, the other pick of the games this weekend in the Premier League is at the Etihad tomorrow and it's the early game. Manchester City lost their first time out, won comfortably last week facing Arsenal. It's the master against the apprentice when you look at the managers. Now, what can you say about Arsenal? They've been so poor so far. Yes, they beat West Brom 6-0 in the League Cup, but it was a reserve West Brom team. You wouldn't read much into that, Liam. No, I wouldn't. But you know something, Jerry? I think they needed a win. They just needed to get a victory. Aubameyang, good for him that he scored a hat-trick. Strikers live on confidence. And Aubameyang on his day can cause any defence in world football a lot of problems. But Arsenal still, Jerry, look weak at the back. Ben White, obviously not going to play. and um, They've got some injury problems as well. And they just look as if they can be got at. Um, they don't have a great record against City in the league over the last couple of seasons. Yes, they knocked him out of the FA Cup, which was a masterclass for Mikel Arteta. He actually got his tactics 100% spot on in that particular game. However, this is Man City. They're at home. Excuse me, they're at home. Cristiano Ronaldo obviously being linked with the club. He won't be playing tomorrow. But I just think when you look at City, they've got goals from everywhere. Jesus was brilliant last week, playing on the right-hand side. Ferran Torres is a player I have a lot of time for. Then you've got the likes of Sterling. You've got Grealish. There's just gold, gold, gold. Unfortunately, Jerry, Arsenal for me, going to start the season with no points out of nine. I've got to go Man City to win here and maybe with a clean sheet. Two goals to nil for me. Let's bring it back home for a moment. FAI Cup weekend, last 16. Dundalk carrying the flag for the North East on their own. Beaten by Drogheda last week in the Loud Derby. The Crowing Rights uh, now Boyneside for the moment. They're up against St. Mocta's, the Lily Whites in the Cup. And they'd want to treat this side with respect. Yeah, look, St. Mocta. Mocktas are a good junior side. Gary, as you and I were speaking just before we came on, Glenn Crow, of course, what a striker he was for Bohemians. He obviously played for Wolves over in over in England, but he was a brilliant player um, in terms of the League of Ireland. A beautiful left foot, Glenn Crow. Used to play his schoolboy football with Stella Maris. So a really, really good lad, and it's good to see him doing well. Dundalk, as you said, I went for the draw last week, but Drogheda just picked them. They beat them 2-1. Big win for Drogheda. But you'd expect Dundalk to be able to progress here. It won't be easy, because Moctis will give them a game. But you would just imagine that the professional side of Dundalk, they should be able to get by Moctis. Maybe it'll be close for the first hour, maybe 65 minutes, but then you've got to think that the fitness of Dundalk and the prowess that they still possess should be able to see off St. Moctis. An intriguing cup tie, but one that the Lily Whites will hope, and I think they will, get through into the next round. Now this weekend as well, Mayo will know who they'll face in the All-Ireland Senior Football Final. It's been postponed for a few weeks because of Covid. Tyrone Camp, well, decimated with it. Can they recover enough to give Kerry a game in the semi-final or will Kerry stroll it? That's the big question, Jerry. I mean, have they had enough time? Have they been able to get together enough to actually look at Kerry, look at how many attacking threats that they're going to come up against? You're talking about some of the best forwards in the entire game who are playing for Kerry. You've got O'Shea, you've got Clifford. You've got Gini. You've got the other Clifford. Kerry are lethal up front. Now, Tyrone, they'll have to bring all of their tricks into play here in Crow Park tomorrow evening. They've got to try and keep it tight. Kerry put five goals past them in the league. Now, that was all done in the first half. You would imagine that the Red Hand will have learned from that. They're not going to be as open. 
they can't be as open because if they play as open again, Kerry will absolutely annihilate them, in my opinion. Tyrone are going to have to try and cut off the space. They're going to have to play a sweeper. I think that's the only way possible to try and contain this Kerry attack. But Tyrone will try and keep this a low-scoring game. That will suit them. But Kerry will try and blitz them in the first half. I've no doubt about that. Kerry are going to come out and they're going to be ready. This Kerry team, for me, Jerry, I... I mean, just looking at them, no one's really laid a glove on them all year, bar Dublin in the league. And even then, they outscored Dublin in terms of the amount of points that they kicked. So for me, Kerry to go through into the All-Ireland Final. The interesting question mark is the handicap is six points at the moment. Do I think Tyrone can get under that? I don't think so. I think Kerry are actually going to cover the spread because of all the problems that Tyrone have had. It's been a terrible preparation. I feel sorry for them because they're not coming into this at full strength. They just couldn't be. So carry for me and carry to win very well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.